Hey there, Leadheads. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast, where we have been leducating the uneducated since 2012. And as due to you, the listener, the Leadhead Brigade out there, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting us, supporting our sponsors throughout the years, and make sure you continue to do that. This episode is one I've been looking forward to, very excited about, and I know you Leadheads are too. Our guest this episode is Jack Carr. For those of you who have been living under a rock for the last two years and don't know who Jack Carr is, you need to fix yourselves, and we'll try to help you do that this episode. Uh, But Jack has been tearing up the spy, political, thriller, book genre for uh, the last few years here with his series of books featuring his main character, James Reese. Uh, And we had Jack on a couple of years ago as episode 311. So if you want to go back to episode 311, listen to our first interview with Jack. We go over his first two books, The Terminal List and True Believer. Uh, And in this episode, we cover his next two books, Savage Son, uh, which came out last year, and his soon-to-be-released The Devil's Hand, uh, the fourth book in his James Reese series. And uh, they get better and better each book. And I was really pleased with this. First two books I actually read, physically read, uh, and then these next two I did the the books on audio. And I don't know about you guys, but um, when I read, I hate kind of listening to myself in my head. So the guy that he's got reading his books – Ray Porter uh, does an excellent job, and I really, really got into him uh, through the audiobook. So I'm going to go back to the the previous two, The Terminal List and True Believer, and listen to those on audio too. Uh, but we've got Jack on. We're going to be talking about uh, his books, and we're also going to be talking about his TV series with Amazon Prime that's getting ready to be released, uh, starring Chris Pratt and a whole slew of other um Big name Hollywood stars like Taylor Kitsch, who was in Lone Survivor, played Mike Murphy. We also talk about his new podcast, Danger Close, uh, and a whole lot of other things. So this is a really good interview with Jack. I know you guys are going to enjoy it as much as I did. We've got Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions joining us, uh, and then we've also got Dwight Settle, who is a former Navy SEAL, and uh, with SEAL One, sponsors of the Talking Lead podcast. Uh, and Charlie Melton, also former Navy SEAL, longtime friend, longtime leadhead. Charlie's been on the show several times, so you leadheads know who Charlie is as well. Um, but it's going to be a really good interview. Looking forward to doing it. Uh, we couldn't have done this without our sponsors. And really stepping up and making this this episode happen is our longtime friends over at 1776 United. They are the providers of the officially licensed Talking Lead logoed t-shirts we've got our original logo and the leadhead brigade logos that they have been cranking out for years now they've got them back in stock they were uh they were out there for a while but they're back in stock now so go check them out 1776 united and all their other line of awesome uh you know 2a lifestyle clothes and kit and gear that they've got there james over at 1776 good friend and they have been taking care of you leadheads for many years now so go show them some love let them know how much you appreciate them jumping on and making this episode possible, along with Factory 47, F-A-K-T-O-R-Y 47.com. And you've heard me mention them on our AK Corner series, where we have collaborated with James, again, another James, uh, just 
just makes it easier for me if everybody's got the same name. <laughs> uh, James over at factory47.com, we collaborated with him, and he is producing our officially licensed AK Corner swag. So we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, and we've got tumblers over there. And the t-shirts, we've got men and women's cut t-shirts. Really cool design that we've got with the uh, AK Corner logo. Uh, and then on the back, it's got all the cool factory, AK-47 factories from around the world. Their logos on there, like Circle K and Mahdi and Fabrica Brony, the K3, Circle K3 logo, Ishmash, and a whole lot more. Factory47.com, you can get our officially licensed AK Corner Shirts, hoodies, tumblers there. The tumblers are awesome. There's two different sizes that you can get. There's like a highball size, and then there's a larger size uh, that you can get on that for the big gulps. Uh, and then, of course, all their other cool T-shirts uh, that are the AK-47 lifestyle uh, branded type, type stuff. So go check them out. They've got hats. They've got T-shirts. They've got flags. All kinds of cool stuff over at factory47.com and use that code LEADHEAD at factory47 and you're going to get 10% off. So James is taking care of you leadheads. Go show them the love. Go follow them on Instagram. Uh, but the best thing you can do is go buy the products. And that's how you can support this show too is buy our logoed products from 1776 United and factory 47. So without further ado, let's get into this kick-ass interview with New York Times best-selling author, former Navy SEAL, Mr. Jack Carr. All right. Hello, Jack. What's happening? There What's up, he is. Hello. What's up, guys? Good to see you again. <laughs> you too, man. <laughs> Welcome back. What's happening? Uh, let's see here. Where am I? Uh, I'm turn so we're connected. I'm turning that. Come on. Shutting down. Eat up. All right. We got it. This is awesome. Okay. Volume. You're getting good at this, man. <laughs> since last time, it's been, what, two years since we had you on last? Is that what it is? Two years now? Man, what a crazy two years. It's been too long. Too long. Mm -hmm. you've, you've done a lot of good things. We got a lot to talk about, man. A lot to get caught up on. Yes, we do. So, yeah. I'm coming down some lunch real quick. No, that's fine. <laughs> Let me introduce you to uh, the crew here. Um, mm -hmm. Brian Keeney, he's got the uh, the microphone over to my left. He's waving at you now. He's with Occam Defense Solutions. I think you're oh, following, yeah. following him on, uh, oh, on yeah. the ground. I, I feel like we talk all every, every day. I see you every day. Yeah, yeah I, I, your support is really appreciated. Thank oh, you. Man. No, you're same way. Same, same with yours. And cool. then up top, we've got Dwight Settle. Dwight is uh, with SEAL 1, uh, and he's a uh, former Navy SEAL also. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Reunion. <laughs> Always, yeah. Give him Two your, or more. Give him your bona fides, there, Dwight. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm an old guy. You're just an FNG. I was in class 104. Uh, oh, that's that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, retired in '99, uh, and okay. uh, uh, was uh, a West Coast guy. And uh, ten years ago, started uh, the the. The company Seal One, which it's a gun cleaning product, yeah, bio-based, bio non-toxic product, and uh, so um, uh, just 
trying to make a make a living doing that could I because I could never string two words together and thought on paper you know so uh it was uh <laughs> awesome awesome no yeah I've seen that I've seen the, your stuff some somewhere all over the place actually um so yeah that's very cool very cool uh, well, I, I wanted to say I hadn't uh, hadn't read your books yet, but I, I did uh, get them on audio so that I could. Oh, uh, uh, nice! Because uh, audio uh, West, is the way to go, Dwight. It's yeah. Um, I'm I'm flying this weekend, so I was like, all right, cool. I, I'm going on a trip. I can uh, listen to them, and I, I know Wes Inskeep has been telling me, and I've yeah. been listening to, to him, and he's been saying, yeah, you got to got to get these so i was like all right i will uh i will get on it and uh very cool very try cool. that he's great he just texted me this morning i haven't had a chance to get back to him because i've been i've signed like 600 books in the other room in the middle of signing i have like all these other like cases going out that uh uh to different people anyway it's it's crazy a thousand book plates so it's like everything's TV the last shows. Yeah. yeah just back from la so that was kind of crazy being out there but we should just record this are we recording yeah i'm recording yeah. Oh, record. Cool. So we're on. Are you cool if I do the video? Record the video too? Yeah, do whatever you want. Okay. I've never done that before, but I thought I'd try it. See how it works. If it sucks, hey, can you hear me? I won't use it. Charlie, you in? What's up? How you doing, brother? <laughs> Charlie. Dwight, how are you, sir? I'm good. Yourself? Outstanding. So, Jack, Charlie joined us last time you were on yeah. back in uh, 2019. A- yeah, yeah. Remember, I was in... Uh, I was in Florida on the book tour. I think I was in. Um, you were in a hotel room or something. Uh, was I yep. was in a hotel room? Yeah, I yep, think I was right. at that stage, but uh, at uh, the Seal Museum, I think I just done the Seal Museum. Yes. I was going to it or coming from it or something like that. Yeah, but uh, you had talked about uh, your experience there. We did the uh, the planes and trains, the jack wagons and heroes, and you put them on the hero um, portion. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. But uh, yeah, good to be on again. This is crazy. It's been a busy couple of years, that's for sure. Yeah, so I think at the time, uh, Terminal List had been out for about a year, and then you were just releasing uh, True Believer. That's right. And um, the reason, the whole reason this came together was one of our listeners uh, was a fan of yours. And he had emailed me and said, hey, you need to get Jack Carr on your show. I was like, okay, I'd love to do that. I don't know who Jack Carr is. I don't know how to get in touch with him. I said, if you can make it happen... You know, we'll do it. <laughs> and, and how did somebody did do it? it? They reach out on email? Did they, I forget how that happened. He he reached out to um, Simon and Schuster via nice. yeah via email, nice. and um, just said, "Hey, I'm you know a listener of this podcast called Talking Lead. Love to get this guy on." And it went from there. And I had cool. him on. He was on the show with us also. So nice. Like, as a reward, I was like, "You get to be on the show, brother." <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, good deals for good deals. That's right, yeah. man. We like to reward our <laughs> listeners here, definitely. Awesome. Definitely, awesome. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of where we we started it uh, back two years ago, back in uh, 2019, and you just kind of exploded, you know, ever since then, hit the ground running. Yeah, it's been crazy. Been uh, been a busy. I, we may have talked about this before, but what I didn't realize going in uh, to that first novel in particular was that uh, as an author, you have to do everything you'd have to do with any business. I thought you just went to a cabin in the mountains and wrote and sent it to New York and they published and you started your next one. And I didn't realize that you have to do all the branding, all the marketing, all the budgets, all the social media, all the engagements, everything you'd have to do if you're starting a coffee shop or no, no matter what it is. Um, so I realized that fairly quickly. 
because yeah, Simon and Schuster they do some things and they do some things very well, particularly the, the like legacy media right. side of things. They have limited assets. I mean, they, they have to prioritize um, that their how they're going to allocate their assets and their support. And publishing is very much like the movie industry in that uh, the Avengers pays for everybody else, like in Hollywood, like all those other movies that don't make their money back. Avengers pays for them. Same thing in publishing. It's uh, it's Stephen King. It's uh, John Grisham. It's those names that you know that uh, that pay for everybody else. Paying the bills, doesn't... yeah. Yeah. So luckily, all mine have uh, have made their investment back, which is uh, which is semi unusual. Um, so that's great. Simon Schuster is very happy with that, of course. Um, I but would it's think so. uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do they have to be upset about? Nothing. But it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's uh, so you have to do yeah, you have to do all those all those things. Um, and so that's just but that has taken. Uh, well, first you have to kind of study it, realize that that's the case. And uh, as I've seen a lot of authors who kind of sit back and just complain about their publicist, complain about their publishing house, not getting support, just like anything else in life. You know, uh, you can sit around and complain, or you can kind of study the landscape and. Uh, Figure out how to how to maximize certain opportunities that are out there. Particularly now, regardless of industry, uh, we can do things we couldn't do 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, and we can do this for what we're doing right now. And uh, you can you can uh, create something of value on social media platforms to to bring people in and grow your readership. Or if you're like a coffee shop, your your drinking ship, your ca- you know you can caffeinate people. Um, but know, it's just ways I've, I've noticed that about you that before. that you've really caught on to. You know that side of things. You know the marketing side of things, the the self uh, publicity, where you know uh, you you were getting on everybody's podcast. You were doing all the podcasts. You were making the tours. You're doing the TV shows. Uh, but then as you you know got into the more social media, you you started that Instagram page, and that Instagram page has just you know exploded. And doing the live feeds that you do, the book reviews, and you know things like that, the YouTube channels. Uh, and then now you've started your own podcast too, you know. That's right. Damn That's you! Right. I don't need the competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I do that for a while? Because uh, you know, on, on Instagram or whatever, you know, I was I get these questions, and yeah, some of them are baiting, and some of them are troll, but some of them are people that are sincerely interested, um, and I don't necessarily want to answer because they won sentence answer it doesn't lend itself to uh, productive conversation and exploration of a lot of these topics uh, with no voice intonation no body language no facial expressions that sort of thing um, so I wanted to do the podcast to explore some of those things that are more uh, appropriately uh, explored via uh, a long-form conversation like we're having now right. uh, so so I wanted to do that for a while so that's really the uh, the reason I'm doing the podcast it's called danger close beyond the books with Jack Carr and that drops every every Wednesday um, and also I've just stumbled into some amazing people over the years. So now I get to share some of those, those conversations. And once again, it's a, something an author couldn't do in 1965, 75, 85, 95. Um, so we can today. So really, I just looked at all this kind of like a, uh, just like I went on the battlefield, you know, looking for, for gaps, looking for, uh, looking at ways to, uh, capitalize on momentum, um, that sort of thing, aggressively solve problems, uh, adapt, just like the enemy's always doing us so i just apply all that to hey this hey publishing okay but uh who in publishing is really doing any of that not many people okay let me look to some other in- industries like why is getting my iphone 
such a different experience than getting my BlackBerry. So that's why I have these. Uh, so I took that from Apple. I'm like, okay, I'm going to send these books out. I'm going to make an experience for people. So in the other room, I have these uh, SKB cases with books in there and some other stuff. So when it, it arrives, someone gets to share that with their audience. So right. uh, so they get to open that and share. It just makes it easy for them to to want to share and want to to help you expand your readership. So um, things like that. How does Red Bull launch a new drink? You know, like nothing to do with publishing. It's an experience. They make it an experience. Yeah, exactly. But I can take these little lessons from different um, uh, different uh, segments of industry and apply them, or take what's appropriate and apply them and make it make it my own in an authentic way, and uh, and then uh, expand the readership through through those mediums. So now, are you using book bunnies to to sell your books too? Like you know, Red Bull. <laughs> I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But uh, you got to be selective. Got to be selective. Right, right. You got to got to choose the right ones, but. Uh, yeah, you've you've definitely got the momentum going, and uh, it continues to to roll. And you know, we want to talk about your new book, uh, Devil's Hand. I don't know how how deep we can get into it. Are we going to do a spoiler show here? Are we going to do just a tease? Because um, I, I guess that would depend on when I release it too. So whatever yeah, we talk about would depend on when I release it. <laughs> Bless you. Thank Bless you. you. Um, so, so yeah, that, the new book, Devil's Hand, comes out April 13th and uh, in hardcover, in audio, uh, read by Ray Porter, who's amazing. He plays Darkseid in the new um, uh, Snyder Cut version of uh, Justice League. Oh, is that him in that? Yeah, he's fantastic. Such a great guy. Oh, my gosh. That uh, is such a right. great redo. That's like the smartest thing they ever did was the, the Snyder Cut. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's like I, I went to go watch it because Ray and I are good buddies now. And then I saw, wait, four and a half hours? I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna, I need to prioritize some other things. Uh, well, but you got to break it up like your books, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, this one is uh, – so each book has had a distinctly different theme. Uh, the first one, the Terminal List that they're making into a, a series with Chris Pratt right now uh, in L.A., that was really about revenge without constraint. And the second one, True Believer, that we talked about last time is really a journey of redemption. And then Savage Son, which is the one I wanted to write first, uh, is uh, but I knew the characters weren't developed yet to the place where I could explore the themes of Savage Son mm -hmm. uh, about the dark side of man explored through the dynamic of hunter and hunted. And I wanted to write that one since sixth grade when I read The Most Dangerous Game, which is a short story for, uh, by Richard Connell written back in 1924. And even in sixth grade, I knew I was going to one day write a tribute to that short story. So that was Savage Son. And then for this one, for Devil's Hand, I wanted to take a breath and think about what or explore what I thought about in the SEAL teams quite a bit, what I continue to think about today as a citizen and as an author, and that is what has the enemy learned by watching us on the field of battle for the last 20 years at war? So if I was Iran, if I was China, if I was Russia, if I was North Korea, if I was a super empowered individual, if I was a terrorist organization, what would I have learned by watching us in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan and Syria, other hotspots around the world, and what would I have applied to future battle plans. Um, so that was the that became the foundation. Because essentially, we've been playing poker. Our enemies have been circling, looking at our cards, looking at how we're playing those cards, taking notes, applying those to their future battle plans. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to explore that, and I outlined it in August of 2019. So when I was on my way to and from Russia, where I was doing some research for Savage Sun, uh, I left my computer behind, left my phone behind, because I didn't want, who knows what people have sent me over the years, and I didn't want <laughs> Actually, to suck out all the information or physically take those things. So, um, so I just bought a sat phone and my notepad. And in my notepad, I outlined the devil's hand um, with that that foundation. And when I got home, part of the the plot is about infectious diseases and the uh, weaponization of infectious diseases. Uh, and so I got into the history what of that. What timing? 
<laughs> yeah, this is August of 2019. And uh, and so I get into the history there. And hey, what did the Japanese do in World War II? Uh, who did they use their bioweapons against? Uh, where did that data and research go at the end of the war? Same thing with the Germans. Uh, what 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 data and research from those two countries informed the U.S. and Soviet Union bioweapons programs? What did it mean when we were signatories to conventions in the 70s? Um, like all these things. Um, so when COVID hits, I am hypersensitive to it. I uh, hear about it in December, uh, a little more at the end of January. And then, of course, by February, we all have heard of it. And then, of course, March, you know, kids are home from school. Everything's shut down. Yeah. Um, so because of what the story was about, because of that foundation where I'm putting myself in the enemy's shoes and essentially red selling the last 20 years from the outside from their position, uh, well, they are learning something from our response to COVID. Then summer of civil unrest hits. Guess what? The enemy is looking at that as well. They're they taking lessons yeah. in corporate. Exactly. And then a very contentious political season, an election cycle. Well, guess what? They're not just looking at that with a passing interest. They are taking notes and they're applying that to future battle plans. So, uh, so as I'm writing, things are happening in real time that I have to incorporate into the story because of what that story is about. Because so the it's an evolving learning. story as you, as you get as into I'm it. Writing. Because you're like, this opportunity is rare that... Which you probably had a, a direction that you were going to go with it until that hit, right? And then maybe well, you're like, I need yeah, to change direction. Yeah, the foundation was the it was the same, but the you know if it, if let's say 2020 hadn't happened, um, then the story would still be we would similar. Love that. The enemy would, but it would just be focused on what they'd learned really from 1979 up to 2001, which was one paradigm. And then from 2001 up to today, which is another paradigm when we're talking about about terrorism and insurgencies. So that would that would have been in there, right. but there wouldn't have been a COVID piece. There probably wouldn't have been a civil unrest piece. There probably wouldn't have been, you know, well, I guess it would be the election craziness regardless. So that, that would have made it in. But uh, but but the enemy was learning. And uh, if I had a different topic, if it was a different storyline, you know, I, then I'd have to wrestle with. Hey, do you incorporate COVID into this just because uh, it, it's at the forefront of everyone's mind or not? And most authors that I've heard uh, aren't going to incorporate it in because they're going to uh, they say they want to give their readers an escape. But for me, if hey, if the enemy is learning from this and that's the whole point of the story, well, it's yeah, got to be. In. You're giving more insight, you know, that, and that's that's valuable than than just trying to ignore it and get an escape. Teach yeah, teaching a lesson. Yeah. Jack, hey, Jack, hey. Hey Jack, is uh, Garrett Golden working with you on any of this? He is. Yeah, oh, Garrett. Cool. Yeah, Garrett is a stud. He's been uh, a dear friend for years. Uh, former SEAL, and he's out there. He's uh, Antoine's uh, Fuqua's for few, um, like personal um, uh, technical advisor. So we have a technical advisor doing through all the you know setting up all the explosions and the gunfights and all that stuff. Who's also a dear friend, uh, Ray Mendoza from the SEAL teams, and so he's uh, got Ray's, Ray's a good buddy of mine too. Oh, did. awesome! Yeah, yeah, he's so good, so good at what oh, he does. Small world. Uh, and then Garrett's, so we have Ray doing that side of it. And then we have Garrett also. So you have, you know, the sanity check, uh, on, uh, and you know, they're both fantastic. It was like a reunion on set there. We had like 10 seals that <laughs> with other years. Oh, that's awesome. Charlie must be outside. I am outside. I wow, hear I'm your wind chimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Charlie's awesome. a free nature. So uh, Jack, I'm I'm curious if there was any pucker factor with incorporating how much you stressed over that COVID decision because you can't tell the future and you know the the book I think you nailed it and and everything is really synergistic there, but I can imagine a couple situations 
where where that could be like a fart in church if history changes in some way. And uh, did you sweat over that much, or was that just uh, something you you made the decision and you moved on? Yeah, so made the decision and move on. So the uh, incorporating it in that was going to happen. That was there was no way not to incorporate it in because of the theme of the novel, because of that that basis for the novel. But some of the more specific things I had to decide was like, well, what is when this book comes out in April, uh, and I'm writing it here, and I'm you know finishing it up in uh, October, November, December timeframe. Uh, what's the country going to be like? Will we be able to walk into stores without masks on, with masks on? Like what? Just some of those little smaller details that I kind of had to take a take a guess and uh, an educated guess and and predict so i used that thinking that's going to come out in april people will still be picking it up in may june july august september so i wrote it in a way that people are looking back on covid as like hey we're not all the way through it but because but if we are all the way through it uh then there's still these lingering thoughts in people's heads about it so i had to think okay what you know if if we do pass through this and restrictions are lifted but there are some residuals uh so i I used it that way uh and and luckily it seems to be seems to be working out yeah totally so related to that, you know, there's, it strikes me that there's sort of two ways to write a novel. You could write it sort of out of place and time, by which I mean you would still have to talk about the general, let's say it's military technology, you'd still be talking about the general tech that's out there, or there's a way to link it very specifically to place and time in the way that you tend to when you talk about, oh, my buddy's at Dead Air or Silencer Co. or something like that. And you do these really fun sort of inside joke shout outs to people that is not a style of writing that you would see with Hemingway or something, but it is a, a, a style that you would see with a lot of other great, you know, the guys that, that have sort of been mentors one way or another to you, like, um, gosh, Brad Thor does this to a, he, he, I think he enjoys putting a little bit of cheese into his writing, like, and it's, it's, it's fun and, and nobody's, nobody's taking themselves too seriously. It strikes me that you sort of are splitting the difference there between an out of place and time kind of thing, more of a Hemingway and trying to strike that middle ground. Is that conscious or is that just, you know, the way it, the way it comes out of, out of your head? Yeah, no, it's it's natural um, in that uh, you know I love talking about some of these things that are a part of me, but before the military, during and, and after, uh, really that um, uh, that interest in, in gear and going farther and faster into the backcountry and making sure my guys have the best stuff uh, that possibly have going downrange. That I didn't just sit around and wait for the military to issue us something. I went to you know shot show from two thousand and four on every chance oh, I got to see what uh, the uh, what the private sector is doing and uh, hey, what can I get? Yeah, what can I get away with? Uh, who's going to give me some stuff maybe to try out that I can bring down range because I don't have enough money to, to buy it, um, that sort of thing. So I always wanted to, just like as a kid, wanting to go farther and faster into the backcountry with my you know my parents. So it's like, oh, an external, an, an internal frame pack. What's this in like 1987 or 1988? You know? right, uh, right. That, well, I'm going to get some of that. I'm going to get some of that. Um, I'm going to test that out. Um, but uh, same thing. It's just always been always been a part of me. So that's natural to incorporate. Um, and then I do. It's also very natural for me to just write um, and incorporate the feelings and emotions behind things that I was involved with downrange. So rather than having to track down a seal sniper from from Ramadi in 2005 2006, and then having someone introduce us, and then sitting down for an interview, and then filtering his answers to my questions 
through whatever biases and life experiences and preconceived notions that I have, and then taking that and applying it to a fictional narrative. Um, like the, that's not diluted. So for me, it's my experience and how I felt in certain situations downrange directly applied to a fictional narrative. So I think that's why really these books resonated with Simon & Schuster when they read that first one out of the thousands that they see every year. Um, and then why it's resonating with readers, because, I mean, we talk about authenticity and that's an overused term, but there's not a better one for it. Yep. Um, and yep. that's really what it's resonated with people. And then also in my engagement online um, to go a little deeper to go a little kind of behind behind the books, behind the chapters, behind the gear, uh, behind some of the situations that inspired some of these chapters, um, then uh, I get to share that that journey, which I couldn't have done 30 years ago. So very, very uh, to me anyway, as I, as I go about this process. One of my favorite writers who did that, he might've been one of the pioneers of it, is Frederick Forsyth. Mm. And I, I've definitely, you know, like Dogs of War and, um, Right. Day of the Jackal, he goes into like extreme detail on how to like create fake IDs and that kind of thing. Um, is he a conscious influence of yours? I think I've seen his books put up on your, you know, in your feed and lit reviews and stuff. But in the pantheon of, of sort of your your literary gods, what where does he sit? Yeah, no, he is up there. Um, and I mean, obviously, all these guys, all these giants of the thriller genre influenced me in one way, shape or form. They all moved the genre forward in one way, shape or form, some more than others. Um, and I was able to experience their work as I grew up. I didn't just wake up one day as I was getting out of the SEAL teams and say, I'm going to give this writing thing a try. Uh, well, I mean, let me read a few books in the genre. It's no, I grew up reading these books. I grew up reading, uh, knowing that I wanted to be a SEAL, knowing that I wanted to serve my country in uniform, and also knowing that one day I'd write thrillers. Uh, and that's because I was having such a good time reading those authors growing up in the 80s and 90s. Um, I think at age 10, I started to read what my parents were reading, which is when Hunt for Red October came out. So I'm reading Tom Clancy and Nelson DeMille and David Morrell and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and Mark Olden and all these guys who had protagonists with backgrounds I wanted in real life one day. And typically back then they had Vietnam experience. It was either a SEAL in Vietnam, an Army Special Forces guy in Vietnam, some sort of a CIA operative in Vietnam. But that was kind of the MO for back then for creating these characters. And I just love that. And I love the magic of those books because because uh, I was I was reading them at a time that was was so impactful to me. And I was so impressionable during that time period from, you know, age, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, like during that time frame. And my mom was a librarian. So I grew up with this love of reading. Anyway, I know I'm going to the military. So I'm also reading all the nonfiction. I'm reading uh, books on warfare and terrorism and counterinsurgency and magazine articles about these things. And some of my first memories are of the Iranian hostage crisis and you know, Americans blindfolded coming out of the embassy, uh, Walter Cronkite counting down those days. I remember the Newsweek and the Time magazine coming in with TWA 847 with the Marine Barracks bombing uh, later on, uh, late 80s, the uh, uh, Pan Am 103. So all these things were very impactful to me. Dwight probably had some uh, hand in some of that stuff. Huh? He might have been there. He might have been for a few of those on the tarmac for the Achilles <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I just knew that was going to be, you know, the enemy of the future for me and for, for, for my generation. And um, so I didn't just see these things as like, oh, wow, that's look at what's happening in the world. It was like, okay, I'm studying these things. Uh, so I looked at it with a different lens, even at a very young age, because it was all prep. And then I didn't really look at the reading that I was doing uh, with those authors I just mentioned as prep. 
Though looking back now with the benefit of hindsight, I was giving myself an education in the art of storytelling from masters of the craft. Yeah. And some of them I'm dear friends with now, like David Morrell, who created Rambo with uh, First Blood back in 1972, uh, where we talk every week. Um, nice. And Stephen nice. Hunter, uh, who created Bob Lee Swagger with uh, Point of Impact. Um, yeah, we talk almost weekly as well. Uh, we started our book tours together in 2019. Um, so it's uh, it's such an honor for me now. Stephen Pressfield, talk to him all the time. Uh, these guys that I've looked up to my whole life as my heroes uh, are now the peers and, and friends and mentors, um, which is to me, it's, it's, it's humbling and uh, it's, it's such an honor. So, um, so yeah, I'm a lifelong reader. I'm a fan of the genre first and foremost, um, which has allowed me to, uh, to make this transition from the military to doing this, uh, this writing that I love to do this next passion in life because I had that foundation of reading because I had that academic study of warfare because I had that experience in Iraq and Afghanistan actually leading men in combat. So all of that came together at the right time and place as I started down this path into publishing. So um, yeah, I don't think I could have prepared uh, any better, even though a lot of it was an inadvertent uh, effort preparing just because I love reading. On that note, I'm sort of blown away at the amount of, you know, I think in your interview with Jocko, you talked about your lifelong prep to be a SEAL, that it was extremely methodical. And now we're hearing about this you know, very methodical approach to being a writer. You know, it's almost like you went through being a SEAL so that you could be a writer, which I know isn't really how it went, but it's funny. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one thing that strikes me is that in the way that you communicate and in your outward appearance, you you communicate like a very, um, well, an outgoing sort of ADD type personality. But when I see your life history, it strikes me as the most squared away, detail-oriented guy on the planet. And at the risk of asking too personal a question, what what is, you know, it, I, I don't understand how your brain works. Uh, can you enlighten us a little? Uh, I don't know if I can enlighten you on how my brain works, but um, a lot of it is just knowing that you have to do the work for any of this. It's not just going to happen. Um, so even when I'm back in junior high and high school and I'm playing like soccer or I'm playing lacrosse or I'm running cross country, in my head I'm thinking, hey, how is this preparing me for my future in the SEAL teams, even in junior high, uh, certainly in high school. Um, uh, getting into Brazilian jiu-jitsu early on in the early 90s before anybody knew really what it was um, like that I'm like okay I gotta learn how to find a ground game here I don't have a very good ground game I need to do this what's this Brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff ah this is pretty interesting getting into the Filipino martial arts that has uh, you know you're hitting with sticks and blades machetes and, and short short knives um, but they're all using certain angles um, and so I was doing all this all in on that sort of thing, boxing, getting in the ring, um, which boxing and doing uh, and rolling, uh, particularly in like tests with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where you have fresh people just cycling through. That's some of the toughest stuff I've, I've ever done to include Hell Week. And Hell Week, I would think back on that and be like, oh, remember when they had like all those like 20 people lined up and uh, and they all were fresh and they got to cycle through as you stayed there on, on the mat. Um, and yeah, that was some of the toughest things I've ever done. So as I'm holding the boats in my head, I'm like, guys, ah, you know, kind of isn't as bad as that. Like, uh, at least I got some <laughs> to hang up, you know, on the mat, it's all you. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's all just knowing that you have to do the work. Um, you know, you have to make that opportunity to get in the military. You have to go down to that recruiting office. You have to do your homework because uh, oftentimes a recruiter is just there to get you to sign a piece of paper. And you have to, like, I knew more about getting into the SEAL teams and the dive fair program and the different options that were available than my recruiter did. Um, so you have to do that, that research. What is that? Hold on. I I think Charlie might some yeah, somebody off muted who ought to be. <laughs> yeah, he's muted. 
That's not me. No, no, that's that's someone doing construction across the street of my house. I'll shut oh, that front door. That's Speaking funny. of construction, uh, you building a new house, uh, Jack? So we're in a rental right now, um, and yeah, we're looking for. Uh, unfortunately, uh, when I guess August of 2020, mid-August, when everyone in New York and California found out their kids weren't going back to school, um, I think most of those states moved here to uh, to Park City, Utah. So, uh, man, the scarcity of what's on the market right now is uh, is is a bit of a challenge to try to find this next uh, our next place. So we're we're working on it. We have a yeah, we have some some leads, but uh, yeah, I think you uh, just moved in a place um, last time we talked back in 2019. You just yeah. settled in to uh, yeah, to Utah. settled in, sold that place, and uh, it ended up being a beautiful house, but kind of one of those places that uh, that photographs well. But uh, when it comes down to it, especially if you have kids, uh, if you have one with uh, we do with uh, some severe special needs that needs 24-7 full-time care forever, it uh, didn't work out the way we thought uh, when we moved in there. So uh, so we're looking for a place that's better situated for, for him in particular, but for the other kids as well. So, um, so we have some lessons learned, just there like uh, important to get those lessons learned and then uh, apply them to future decisions, which in this case will be the, uh, the new house. The new house, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the place you're at looks great. Uh, I mean, it kind of fits in with the whole motif of uh, with, of your character, James Reese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I had a Definitely. great office in the last house that people were very fond of during these interviews. And I had my books behind me, and I had you know tomahawks and all this stuff. Um, but uh, in this one, so I knew I had to. I couldn't just move into a rental and just say it was a rental and have a blank wall behind me or with one one thing back there. I had to had to church it up a bit. So I'm loving. <laughs> you did good. You do good. It looks good. I'm I'm proud yeah, of this you. thing here. Is, this is uh, these are casings right here. So yeah, they're they're all used. This is nine mil right here. Oh, oh. no way. Yeah. So that's pretty. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Things heavy. I don't really don't know how it's still on the wall. I think it's super heavy. Um, that's but beautiful. yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so with um, you know, with all the, I guess opportunities that this has has afforded you with these the books, you know, the popularity of them and the success of them. Uh, the, the TV shows, uh, you know, I know people are falling over themselves to, to send you product and do this, do that. Uh, what's what's something, and even as Navy SEALs, you know, Dwight and, and uh, Charlie can attest to this, just being a Navy SEAL kind of opens up doors that normally wouldn't open for, for other people. But take that on top of your success as an author. Uh, what kind of What kind of things have opened up that maybe you weren't really expecting? That's a very good question. Um, I didn't. Uh, I, I always, I guess, assumed is the wrong word. But uh, I, you know, I always, growing up, I didn't get discouraged by people who told me how tough it is to be a SEAL. Um, as I went along in life, I didn't get uh, discouraged as I was getting out and started telling people that I was writing uh, how hard it is to be published by a New York publishing house, or how tough it is to make the New York Times list, or how tough it is to uh, see one of some of your work uh, adapted to the screen. So I didn't pay any attention to that sort of thing. I mean, paid attention to it as that I nodded my head, but I didn't then go back and didn't worry about any of that. I didn't worry uh, about getting published. I didn't worry about it making the New York Times. I mean, that's not true. I did worry about it not making the New York Times list because that's a little bit of an editorial uh, in that thing. That's a fascinating list in and of itself. Um, so uh, I didn't really worry about it not being adapted to screen. I just knew that it would. Um, and I knew that Chris Pratt would star. That's the other crazy part. I knew that Antoine Fuqua would direct. That which is insane now looking back, but that's is, just. Is that before Chris Pratt was in Guardians of the Galaxy? 
That was before Guardians of the Galaxy, before Avengers, uh, before Jurassic World. It was when he was Andy on Parks and Rec and had a very small role in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, very small role. I, I knew he so needed. So you were uh, seeing the the character from Parks and Rec as as James Reese. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I knew because I saw him and I knew that he had the the uh, the the uh, Zero Dark Thirty role. Yeah. Um, and even though it was small, I knew, hey, this guy's going somewhere. And I thought about how Tom Hanks in the 80s did all that comedy. And then he takes a risk with Philadelphia in the early 90s. And from then on, he can write his own ticket. So I was like, hey, who's that guy that uh, right now needs to do that, needs to take that risk? Because um, what I'm doing, my, it's a life of taking risk uh, and committing things so who's that actor that needs to do the same uh and i was like chris pratt that's the guy he's uh he's likable the guys like him the ladies like him um and he can pull this off he needs to do something dark he needs to do something primal he needs to do something visceral and violent um and to prove that he has more range as an actor and he is absolutely crushing it like i was so impressed oh, on the set imagine. Can't imagine. it's so awesome to see him bring this character to life it's just Awesome. Yeah, can, you, uh, can you talk about where they're filming that? Is that in? Are they doing it in California or where are they doing it? Yeah, in and around LA, there was 350 people on set. Uh, so I was there for seven days. Got there uh, to quarantine for two, and then got tested four times over that five day period. <laughs> of COVID. Um, so they're really being strict because if anybody gets COVID, they've shut down production, yeah. and it's a significant amount of money that gets lost every day with shutting down a production like that. Um, so yeah, it's pretty pretty. It, it was really cool seeing that 350 people have jobs in LA um, because Chris and Antoine took a risk on doing this. Um, There are other cities that, you know, are are thriving in the filming industry right now. Atlanta being one of those, you know, hopefully they'll continue to thrive even though people are uh, chastising them for changing their, their voting laws or updating their voting laws, which is sad. The MLB moved out. Um, But um, yeah, I was just curious as to where you guys might be filming and how welcoming, you know, California is right now. Yeah, I think uh, like in and around Louisiana or in and around um, New Orleans, I think uh, yeah. Louisiana uh, is doing a lot, I think. But uh, yeah, I think this one in California is the biggest thing going on in California right now because um, there are so many restrictions and like half the budget went to COVID restrictions. Yeah, luckily, it was it's a, crazy. Luckily, it's a gigantic budget. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. In a film, they have months and months of filming um, and then it goes into post-production and Hopefully they have somebody also, they have all these technical advisors on set, all these seals on set. Um, but we need a few of those guys in the editing room. So now I'm much more forgiving when I see something get messed up, uh, when I'm watching Netflix or something, uh-huh. uh, I'm much more forgiving with 350 people on a set. It is so easy for something to get messed up. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm much more forgiving. Now I get it. Now I can see how that can happen to include in the editing room when someone's editing that doesn't know that, uh, hey, these guys are doing it right. But the camera angle makes it look like they're not doing it right or something. Mm-hmm. And they just put it in because they think it looks cool. Um, but for somebody with a trained eye, they're like, oh, look at that. But it's just the angle. Uh, so I can totally see how that happens with multiple opportunities. I'm very nitpicky uh, when it comes to movies. But at the same time, I realize that, you know, they're for escapism, you know, for the most part. But when you. When you're watching a movie like this, like you know, TV series, TV movie, whatever you guys are category categorizing it as, you know, people are going to be very scrutinous. You know, they're going to scrutinize the hell out of this. And are you ready for, 
for all that <laughs> that you you know you already get enough hate online anyway or in, in negative reviews and and that sort of thing so i'm sure that people will take issue because uh, a lot of people a lot of people just are looking to be angered and, and outraged and and uh, not like something instead yeah. of looking at the part like hey i like this because i'm looking at the things i do like about this they look for the things that they don't like that I, that part of, of human psychology is fascinating to me because, you know, you only have a certain amount of time on this planet and you don't know if it's a day or a week or a month or 10 years. You have no idea. But you get to choose how you spend that time. And someone actively chooses to look at something subjective and take the negative from it and write and spend time like on Amazon reviews, three paragraphs about how horrible <laughs> you are. because You mentioned something about, you know, gun culture. So you must be X, Y and Z. And they took that time. To be that hateful, yeah. And okay, I mean, you get to choose. And people great- read that crap too, and that's what's that's why people do it too, and that's what's disheartening about it. I, I love those because uh, for every person that says takes the time to do that and write how much they uh, they hate the gear, or they hate the guns, or they you know all that sort of thing, that sells it to somebody else who loves exactly. that stuff. <laughs> that's my God. so uh, so. Thank you to everybody that leaves the negative ones because you're helping. You know, I like well, that on your on your um, the videos that you do, and you read the comments and the feedback. You read the negative ones too, and I, you know, I, yeah, I really the only one I those. that on because I, you know, I, I, that's all I really have time to skim is Amazon. Um, there are other places I guess you can leave reviews, but I don't even look at those. Uh, and like for my podcast, uh, I have a the Ironclad Media is producing it, so they're looking at those. I just don't have time to look at the the comments. There's so much going on; it's crazy. So they they can look at those comments. I've decided not even to to look uh, there just because. I don't know when I would do it. There's just zero time for that sort of thing. I got to focus all my energies and efforts into making book five the best it can be, which I'm in the middle of right now. I heard a great wisdom a while back that, that this will sound like I'm out of left field for a moment, but that the, uh, that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. You don't care one way or the other. These people, and I get the same thing with my product, which is also a subjective thing. Like best is, you know, the best gun out there is purely a subjective statement. So I don't take it personally when somebody doesn't want to buy what I have. So, you know, it's funny to hear you talking about it in the same in the same way. But when I come across these people that just spend a ton of time telling me about what's wrong, I thank them profoundly for how much they care about our work. And that just makes them even more furious. So I do get some Schadenfreude out of it, but it yeah, is yeah. a you're, you're you're saying kind of the same thing there that it is interesting how much people care about letting you know that they're unhappy. Yeah, yeah. love love the term too, taking pleasure from someone else's misery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It is a good one. <laughs> At German and Arabic, I think are the only two languages that have a word for it. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. That- there. Someone can fact check me on that, but uh, those are, I know that I know that those two have a distinct word for that. I'll take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> I want to get to listener listener questions, but uh, I want to make yeah. sure that if Charlie or Dwight have any questions, um, they could chime in here. Well, actually, I'm just uh, very impressed that you know you were saying from sixth grade you. You knew you wanted to write, you wanted to do this, and hell, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up, and, um, you know, and um, I'm very much uh, aware of also the the, the negative um, connotations, because, you know, I'm, I'm like you, Brian, when, when people are, give the 
the negative about the product, you're just, okay, well, thanks a lot. I'm glad you really thought that much about uh, giving me that much information about how much you dislike it. And, exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, it's, it's so it's, crazy. Uh, I mean, they could be out <clears throat> thanking someone for, for, do, for you know, another product. or Like if someone reads the first sentence, and it, it actually my website has the first few chapters of each book, they can test it. They can test drive it. Like it's not going to change. Like if you don't like <laughs> that first sentence or that, don't go, don't spend any more time. <laughs> right, don't stop. The rest of the novel. Stop and do something that you enjoy. Like it's not all of a sudden going to, going to turn into something that's not there in the first few pages. Uh, same thing with listening. Like don't listen to you all the way to the end. If you hate the first pair, first chapter, first paragraph, um, there are plenty of other things out there that, and, and even other authors in this genre that, uh, that just say you picked up a gun or picked up a knife or picked up a shotgun or whatever else with no, uh, no background at all on any of that stuff. Uh, so there, that, that's out there and, uh, and it's not hard to find. So, uh, yeah, choices. It's all about options. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I think people, they, they find it much easier to be negative than to be happy. It's like people find it easier to frown than to smile. Hmm. And, um, it's just like you news, know? you know, you, you rarely hear yeah. good news. It's always catastrophe and may mayhem and you know, then that's what sells news. You know, it's kind of same thing with yep. the social media these days. You know, if it's if it's not shocking, you know, people don't want to don't want to read it or deal with it. Yeah, crazy. But yeah. your books uh, are very shocking. <laughs> they, they get, <laughs> it's just a very good detailed. Uh, I don't want to say murder, but <laughs> but murder and mayhem. Yeah. Very therapeutic to, to write these things, that's for sure. I, I can imagine. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, because we didn't talk about uh, Savage Son. And, and I was talking to Brian the other day, and for me personally, again, it's subjective. Savage Son is my favorite of your, your works so far. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I guess it, it, it kind of goes back into that, because I've always had a fascination with you know, humans hunting humans and, you know, that, that kind of thing too. I was watching some show the other day that was delving into it. Uh, mm. and, uh, they didn't quite do it justice, but your book does a really good job, uh, in, you know, kind of that mindset and what it takes for somebody to, to want to do something like that. Talk about, um, again, we know the reason why you did it and you went to Siberia. Talk about some of your experiences in Siberia while you were there that, that played into the storytelling. Yeah. So, uh, I went to, when I went to, I knew I had to go to Kamchatka cause so much action takes place there. Uh, for the first novel for the terminal list, I'd been to Iraq, I'd been to Afghanistan. I'd been to most of the places that I, that I write about in the continental United States in, in that novel, uh, true believer. I hadn't been to Mozambique. So even before I sent the first novel to Simon and Schuster, I was on a plane to Mozambique, put boots on the ground there, wanted to, to weave that local flavor into the novel. So, uh, so I did that. And then for the second, because I was finishing up the second and for the third for Savage Sun, mm-hmm. uh, I went to South Africa and helped train up an anti-poaching unit that's focused on protecting some of the last rhino on Earth. They were switching over to M4s and Glocks, two platforms that I have some experience with. So went over there and learned a ton from those guys. It was incredible. They, uh, a lot of them were older. And they caught the tail end of the bush wars. Well, first they'd grown up tracking animals for food. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they 
tail end of the Bush Wars where they tracked humans and hunted humans. Um, then they came back and the government was like, wow, we have all these veterans now that are unemployed. And they brought a lot of them into the National Police Force to do what would we think of as like CSI going to a crime scene and now instead of you know looking at a boot print in uh you know in the dirt uh, or tracking an animal now they're getting in the head of a suspect of a perpetrator um get it looking at crime scenes and then they kind of aged out of that and a lot of them were uh snatched up by these uh different private um concessions that are protecting some of these endangered species so uh they got to take all of that experience and then apply it in a in a positive direction, which is uh, something I, I used in The True Believer as James Reese learns to live again in the wilds of Mozambique. Um, so anyway, I had this experience in Africa, and I'd been to the other places already. I'd been to Morocco, I'd been to Ukraine, I'd been to the other places that I that I write about. But um, I, I, I thought, because of this experience in Africa, where everyone wanted to tell me the story of their country, everyone wanted to talk to me, it seemed, about uh, their personal experience growing up, uh, the, the uh, political climates, oftentimes tumultuous, particularly in, in Mozambique, um, the, the Chinese influence in mining operations, both illegal and illegal, um, all these things, the, the illegal wildlife trade, um, they wanted to talk to me about all of that, and they were amazing. So I thought it was going to be the same in Russia. Not the case in Russia. And I, I realized when I got hit the ground there that, so I'm asking questions that uh, for most of Russian history, if someone's asking you, you're not long for this world. It's off to the gulag. It's uh, in front of the firing squad. You're going to get re um, and that stayed with them. They're, you know, in my limited experience, the people I talked to were very standoffish over there because I'm asking, you know, military stuff, intelligence stuff. I'm asking all these questions for a novel, and they think that you're, you know, they just don't want to answer these questions. Why is this guy answering? They're very suspicious. Why is he asking me these types of questions? Uh, but I went to the back country there and did a, uh, did a, uh, it was a fishing trip and a hunt, and I got to uh, slowly wear them down and get a lot of information that I could then weave into, uh, to Savage Sun. So it's, uh, that was, it was interesting. And so for this fourth one, luckily it takes place mostly in the continental United States. So with everything shutting down for COVID right about the time I'm, I'm uh, getting deep into the writing, um, I didn't have to travel. I didn't have to go put boots on the ground anywhere. Cause I've been to most of the places that I'm, I'm writing about. Now for the fifth one I'm writing now, I need the world to open back up because I want to uh, get to a couple different places out there so I can do some research, talk to some people, incorporate some local flavor into the story. So hopefully by the end of the summer, even though the book will be nearing completion at that point, um, I can kind of do what I did for Savage Sun, which is go research, come back, and then weave some of this local flavor into the plot. So Brian's getting ready to ask a question. Go ahead. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I was, thank you. Um, Am I correct in thinking you're a fly fisherman, at least in part? I, I you know, I don't consider, I don't, so many people are so good. Uh, and so no, I understand. I understand. It, uh, I don't think of myself, I fly fish. Um, so I, I fly fish. Uh, Pro properly I'm um, at that stage where I call myself a fly fisherman, even though I've been doing it for 30 years or so. Um, I'm mostly self-taught. Um, and uh, when I went to Russia with this group that travels around the world fishing, Man, these guys know what they're doing. And then I live here in Park City, and we have some serious fly fishermen here in Park City. Like, I have yeah. the gear. I, I know. I, I, I know. I know where to go. I kind of know what to do. Um, but I definitely don't look like some of these guys who are just so in tune with it. Um, but yes, I do fly fish. That's a long well, way of saying. Yes. Yeah. So I had a similar walk and um, had a pretty serious tarpon addiction at one point when I made more money, and. Uh, 
I think you write, if I remember, yeah, you kill uh, one of the bad guys in book one in the mangroves. So it, it seemed like you'd spent some time in the Keys. And my question was, of all the places you've gotten to go around the world, what has been your favorite species of fish to pursue? Because the way I think about at least flats fishing in the Keys, it's more like big game hunting with a bow than it is like anything else. You know, it's very much like spot spot casting to fish also with with trout but they're smaller um but it's very similar to the what's that yeah spot and stock out there yeah yeah so so actually haven't even done that yet um so yeah i haven't done bone fishing haven't done any of that stuff uh but i had a friend that moved to isla morada um so i spent some time down there with him another buddy bought a house in the in the keys uh farther south so um so I, I've been down there. I've been fishing down there, but haven't done that particular type yet, just because it's been so busy. So what I really like to do is like is, is you know trout. I like that brown trout. Going, I like to to pack, put my pack on and put the the uh, the rod in that pack and head up to head up into the into the mountains or head to a creek somewhere. Uh, I love going out to Colorado uh, to do that. There's some some land out there that I like to to go fish and um, some waters out there I like to spend time on. So uh, I try to get out there at least once a year to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's that just because of what's around me, not necessarily for the actual action, um, but for what's around me and just being in the mountains and being, uh, being in this, this just beautiful, beautiful area. Um, so I think that's probably it. Well, and a, a 24 inch Brown will stop your heart just as quick as a five foot tarpon. So, you know, it's, it's all, it's all good stuff. Yeah. yeah. A half pound brim stops mine. <laughs> I'm happy to catch one of those. <laughs> but I'm I'm a deep sea fisherman. I like I like going out and, and getting those big suckers on the on the line, putting up a little fight. Heck nice. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So um, let's go to some of our listener questions here, uh, and this is brought to us by Factory Forty Seven on Instagram. Here we're gonna go. Uh, and 1776 United. I don't know if you saw my shirt. Uh, these are our classic Talking Lead logo T-shirts. Nice. I like like it. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be giving one of our, our listeners one of these shirts. We've got a Factory 47 logo shirt, which it'll have this logo on it. I don't know if you can see that or not. Yeah, nice. Uh, actually, we're going to give away one of these mugs. That's what we're giving away. Uh, awesome. Talking Lead AK Corner, 15th of every month. Make sure you listen. We do, we just talk AKs during that one. So if you ever want to be on and talk AKs, yeah, well, I had to do a, some serious AK research for this one because <laughs> uh, so I'm getting to the end of the you know near the end of the novel and I'm incorporating an AK uh, Kalishnikov and I was like well, it has to tell a story like I can't just say AK you know yeah. it has to tell a story particularly um, in the because of who's using it and how they're using it um, and so I start doing my research. And uh, luckily, I know people much more knowledgeable than I am on those platforms. So I get to reach out to you know, Larry Vickers with the Vicker Guides. I talked to Clint Smith, who was actually shot uh, by 762 by 39 in Vietnam. Um, uh, Jim Fuller, someone put me in touch with him. Uh, so I got to check all this AK stuff with people that really know what they're doing. Uh, and, and that made all the difference. So I have a specific AK from a specific part of the world that makes sense for the storyline. It's very unique. Um, and I did a blog post on it uh, in January when I was doing that research. So it's on my on my website if people want to scroll down a little bit and, and see how that, that went. But, um, but I, I went through a whole function check and I'm like, oh man, 
you know, I haven't really spent that much time on this platform. Like I've shot it, I've done a little, you know, course with it, but I don't have as much time on this as I do with an M4 AR type platform. Um, so I wrote it and was just like, oh man, I, I got to make sure that if an AK person reads this, that it rings true, that they're like, all right, hey, this guy did the research. He didn't just, uh, no, you no. know, say, they kind of take what he does with his M4 and apply it to this uh, this platform that has some different that you, you operate in a little bit different of uh, fashion. So so it's really cool doing that. Then I went down to Park City Gun Club because they have a fully automatic mm -hmm. uh, off down there that you can rent on the range. And so I went through the function checks as like Jim Fuller and these guys talked me through it. And I got how it feels, how it sounds, um, why you do it in a certain uh, certain way. So that's all incorporated into the novel as well. And that's the one coming up after Devil's Hand. That's Dean Devil's Hand at the end, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, we haven't yeah. talked about the Devil's Hand yet. I, I, I guess we should talk about that maybe a little bit before we do the questions, or should we do the questions? However you want. We talked a little bit about that that base to it all. Yeah, so let's, we, let's go to the questions. Let's get some questions here. Uh, so this is from Mustang Perry. He said, I just wanted to say thank you to Jack Carr for your service and for writing such an amazing series of books. I'm looking forward to seeing the show when it is released, as we all are. If you can talk about it, I would like to know possible release date for the show and if you know if they stayed uh, too far from your great work. I guess if he – did they stick to the yeah. source material? Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out. Probably uh, they haven't given me a date and it can probably fluctuate anyway. Sure. Uh, based variety of factors but sometime in 2022 i think um but uh so yeah it is different when you adapt something from uh you know the written word to a different medium visual in this case uh it's uh it's going to change and i went in knowing that it was going to change uh like if you read the book first blood uh then see the movie first blood two distinctly different stories uh but both awesome you know yeah. and uh, so that's what that's how what much I really control did you have and say so did you have in the changes that were made yeah zero um yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, when uh, chris optioned this i was not uh when you don't have a series you haven't created this universe yet you haven't sold one book uh you have zero following you're not coming from politics you're not coming from sports uh yeah you really don't have an option and so i signed all creative control over uh if you're like a daniel silver or somebody with 20 some odd books or a lee child or somebody with like 24 like if you have yeah, exactly. If you have this, you have a little more uh, leeway to ha get that creative control. Uh, me, I did not. But uh, but they Chris wanted it gritty. He wanted it dark. He wanted it violent. Uh, he wanted to stay true to the novel like that. Um, but uh, and then I helped with the first script. I've been an advisor on all the scripts. Uh, really, the first script was me and the screenwriter uh, writing that together. I was more of an advisor, but we worked together on that. And then he took it with Chris Pratt and Antoine Fuqua, and they went around to all the different streaming services and pitched it. And there was a bidding war and they it ended up with at Amazon. Yeah. Um, so officially, yeah, I have no creative control, but unofficially I have been intimately involved with, with all of it. And even on set the other day, making, you know, changes on, on set or recommendations, I should say yeah. on, on set. So do they uh, listen though? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Just gotta, like, get, get this guy out of here. <laughs> no, it's yeah. interesting. You know, yeah, I guess it all depends on you know, uh, your personality or sure. how you work with people or, you know, those different intangibles. But, uh, yeah, it's, we have some, a really cool scene is now back in it. That was, that was, uh, was out for a while. So I'm super excited about that. I can't really talk about what that is. Was that due but, to your uh, persuasion? Yeah. You're yeah, like, so, you know, come on guys. I really need this in there. So yeah, you, gotta, you, know, you gotta do it in a thoughtful, you know, a thoughtful sure. way. And, and, uh, 
You, you know, gotta know your audience, right? Yeah, and you gotta let things percolate, like develop on the in uh, on the field of battle. You know, and you gotta let things develop. You know, so you don't like rush into an ambush that's been set up for you uh, because they're anticipating your next move. You gotta, you know, let things develop and make uh, uh, make fluid. decisions. Yeah, yeah, based on, uh, uh, on on your experience, on your training, on all sorts of different different factors out there. So same thing. Uh, but I'm I'm super happy. I and mean, of course, you never know until it actually airs. Yeah. and I'm sure some people will will. Uh, just looking for a reason not to like it like we talked about but i could not be more excited about it i could not be more happy with how they've adapted it how it's changed from really a political thriller into more of a psychological thriller which is a really cool way to tell the story i think uh especially when you're dealing with um with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress and these drugs that are part of this conspiracy that, uh, that i wrote about. so it's a it's a great way to do it and it could not be in better hands with antoine and, and chris now do you have access so, to instagram right now right yeah, uh, I do. If, would you go to uh, our Instagram page, and I want you to pick a question that you'd like to. Yeah. All right. You'd like to answer there, and while you're doing that, I'll read this one. This is from Caltech Weapons. You know Chad at Caltech. Caltech I, I don't know. No. Uh, so he says, "Who has the best thousand-yard stare? Jack Carr, Rick Stewart, or Terry Huen?" Ah, uh, Terry's pretty good. <laughs> yeah he said that's yeah. an inside joke so and who said who who wrote that one uh that's uh my buddy chad at keltec keltec weapons okay they're friends with dana yeah. lash working with uh with rick and those guys they're uh they're uh doing some some work together so that's that's very cool so yeah yeah terry for sure man he's 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 a he's good people and rick's amazing as well he's got the voice so rick's got the voice so terry's got the look and he's the, got the stare <laughs> <laughs> Actually, at the risk of overcomplicating Jack's brain, I, I had a follow-up on that first question there. There was uh, lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth among your most fervent followers when it was announced that Constance Wu was cast for Katie Burnick, and it, it, it has nothing to do with Constance Wu's name or skin color. It is the worry that Katie Burnick's storyline from Yugoslavia will be changed people love including myself like yeah. really great did that part uh, can you can you speak to whether whether that plot line and that character was changed significantly uh yeah it's changed okay uh, for sure um but i but you know i have an open mind to all of this and uh yeah all when you adapt something that you've created and hand it over to somebody else there's a huge amount of trust involved sure. Um, yep. and so even though when I, when I had this, I had other offers on the table and for more, uh, financially more beneficial, but I, I trusted Chris and Antoine with sure. it for yep. a reason. Um, and, uh, and you know, maybe I took those ones that were more financially, uh, uh, uh beneficial back then maybe it would never even get made. That's it probably sure. Yeah. sure. Right. Oh. Um, so yeah, you trust these guys to do, um, with your work. And to turn it into to something that both you can be proud of and that they are proud of attaching their name and attaching all that time to they're investing time in this thing uh, that they could choose any project. So. So, yeah, that, that storyline has changed. And um, and I, I actually, I, you know, I, I think it's going to work out. Great. Great. Well, I think that we can all. If you're happy, I'm sure the fans will be happy, too. I was actually um, picturing her as. uh Katie is it Katie Pavlich? The the she was just on your podcast. She was she was she's a dear friend and uh, that she's is awesome. who I was picturing 
uh, Katie has in your books is is something along those lines. Yeah, I've heard that before from a few people. Yeah, so uh, I'm not disappointed in the the character that they chose. Not at all. Well, I think she'll do an amazing job. Yeah, I I think too. Any any sadness that people have on the storyline changing the fact that Taylor Kitsch is playing Ben Edwards. He's the guy from uh, Friday Night Lights that gets his back broke. Lone Survivor. Come on. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's in Mike a bunch Murphy. of stuff. Exactly. He's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Ray Mendoza did the uh, did a lot of the uh, uh, the fight stuff for that, technical advising for that, and now they're back together on the set. So, um, yeah, Taylor's amazing. I was excited uh, to hear that he was going to be on it. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's a perfect choice for for Ben Edwards. Um, yeah, uh, Riley Keough is uh, plays uh, Reese's wife. Uh, she's incredible. She reached out. Gene Triplehorn, uh, so cool. She reached out, texting me like. They've been also nice to know. I have a uh, call with, they haven't announced who it is yet, but um, uh, with the person who's playing Liz Riley. Uh, so she's calling here in a couple couple hours just to talk things through. And everybody's been so cool uh, and, and so normal. You know, yeah. that's the other part. Like everybody's been so normal, uh, which you don't, you know, you don't really know what to expect if it's your first time <laughs> on the path and all you do is see them on like, you know, extra or there as you're walking through the supermarket, see them on the cover of a magazine or whatever. You just don't know. But uh, yeah, everybody's been, beyond cool beyond amazing yeah that's really normal, cool just real, real normal act just normal people who happen to be actors you know just happen to have awesome. a different career path yeah. yeah i'm sure that's not everybody i'm sure there are some 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 crazy people out there too like i've seen a few people on uh <laughs> Give letterman back here you know leno or late night shows you're like whoa <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm sure those do exist but my experience thus far everybody's been just uh someone you want to have a beer with yeah nice did you make it to the instagram I am right there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, fingers. The one of you holding up the book. Just see if, huh? The one of you uh, holding up the book. That one. Sure. Yeah. Let's do that one. Oh, I don't see any questions under there. Oh no no it's the it's the one before that one. Okay, got it. All right. Oh man. Uh, let's see. Will there be more humor added in since Chris Pratt is starring? Um, so I don't know because we've only I only saw the first episode there in. The scripts, no, but I don't know if uh, once, kind of like a plan, you know, you're making a plan around a table, sounds great, and then you go out there and situation train dictate that you adapt. Uh, same thing on on the set. Um, you get out there and what looked good on paper just isn't working for whatever reason, or there's a better way to do it based on some changes you made to a past script that you just, uh, it just did in the previous episode. So there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of intangibles to figure out, a lot of uh, changes that uh, occur throughout the whole process that you need to incorporate as you go. So I haven't noticed it in the script, and Chris is, is uh, rocking it. So dark, so violent. It's friggin' awesome. Just <laughs> I'm so fired up just thinking about it. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't know if there'll be some humor incorporated in there. I mean, he's an awesome guy. It's got to uh, be. Gotta wouldn't be. be surprised if he uh, incorporates a little humor. Uh, you know, I, I incorporate a little humor into the novel, not too much in the first one. But uh, you know, you tell you develop characters. It's something that uh, I've noticed too as it's progressed, and especially in this last one, there's a lot more humor, especially with the two, um, yeah, the two Stooges that are uh, Tail and James. Those two yeah, guys yeah. crack me up. I love those. Yeah. So those guys. Um, 
so when I start writing, I write down the names of all the characters and their position. So like, you know, uh, so-and-so president of the United States, so-and-so director of the CIA, so-and-so director of the FBI, you know, whatever that is. So I have the names so I can look at the names and be like, okay, that one sounds too close to this one. Let me change that. It's not going to work. Um, and so that sort of thing. So I have it there, but I don't have their personalities attached other than recurring characters like my protagonist, James Reese, of course, uh, Rafe Hastings, uh, Katie, uh, like these, these ones that have this, uh, already have personalities um but when i start writing then as i've started particularly in the dialogue when i have characters uh, getting to know each other or having a conversation it's like we are now we're getting to know each other uh well same thing on the page i get to know these characters based off this conversation they're having and i haven't written any of that in the outline like there's not the outline is a guide uh, some beginning middle ends and things i want to incorporate you know that that sort of thing but i don't have hey so and so is going to have a conversation it's going to be humorous okay next like it's not that's not like it at all it, that just naturally comes out so with those guys i had so much fun with those guys because of that because i have them and then all of a sudden they you just can tell you're having fun with them yeah, yeah. Is uh, yeah, those guys in particular were super fun. And in the original outline, I don't want to give any spoils away. Let's talk about it next time because I had something else happening to those guys. Um, but then I liked them so much that uh, that I couldn't do what I had planned to do in the outline, and I would have lost. Uh, it wouldn't have made sense anyway. By the time I yeah. fully developed the story through the writing process, it, it, that part didn't make sense anymore. So I had to uh, you know do something that made more sense to the story and and uh, was more more natural anyway. So worked out and that question was from austin whalen that you read uh so thank you Hi. austin for that he's a long time lead head big time nice. big time uh supporter of of you jack carr um here's this one yeah should we look for uh jack carr cameo in the in the tv series and that is a, a yes but you never know it's going to get edited out on the on the cutting room floor but um yeah is it yeah, going to be a better cameo than um than what Marcus Luttrell had in Lone Survivor. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't really want to give too much away because it's morphed over time. And I thought originally it was going to be, yeah, just make, you know, let the author walk by in the background. And it's, it's morphed into something a lot more than that. Uh, so uh, I'll keep that a little more close hold though. So let it be, I think I'm going to let that one be a surprise because if it ends up being the way that uh, we just discussed it when I was out there in LA last week, then it should be pretty cool. We don't want to hex it. We don't want to hex it definitely. That was from, That's right. from Matt. That might happen. Talk about it, they'll cancel that anyway. That was from Matt, Matt Stanick. He's a he's also at Caltech. Uh, let's see, Iron Lord. What is your favorite location to visit while doing research for the books? Hmm. Well, I love going to Kamchatka, uh, Russia, because I'd never been there before. That was quite the experience. Um, but also love being spending time in Mozambique, uh, South Africa. Um, those are the big ones that I, where I've been for for research thus far um so i i thought every book was going to get one big trip but with covid that didn't happen and luckily this was all united states based for the most part um for the devil's hand but uh yeah i'm looking forward to there, there's a few other places that need to open back up so i can go do some research and i'm really looking forward to those but i'll keep those close hold too so this is a this is a question from me and um me and a buddy were revisiting some some old movies chuck norris movies uh, those missing in action movies and, oh, yeah. And in our minds, as we're talking about them, we're like, these were the greatest movies ever made. So we're like, let's go watch them. Uh-oh. So, Uh-oh. so we went back and started watching them. And oh, we're no. like, this isn't how I remember this movie. But uh, still, you know. The greatest fear. That's my, keeps me up late at night. Not really. Yeah. But, uh, is actually a fear of mine to uh, you know go back and do that to some movies or books that were so impactful uh-huh. back then. 
growing up and have them have lost that magic. Exactly. Or, You're like, oh, I just ruined it. I should have never gone back and watched it. But the yeah. subject material POWs, uh, you know, I think is is something that we don't see much anymore or hear about much anymore. And I was just wondering if maybe that might be a topic you would uh, cover in, in future books uh, with, with James Reed. Yeah, there's definitely some things I want to explore there, particularly with uh, Tom Reese, James Reese's dad. I kind of left some little Easter eggs here and yeah. there, and then James Reese's grandfather with Scouts and Raiders and that sort of thing. So I, I left them, uh, I described them in such a way that I have a lot of options. So I didn't like make it too narrow where I couldn't go back and uh, and morph a few things over time um, as I more fully develop future storylines. But I think that's something that I'll I'll explore at some point. I, I would uh, I'd say it's it's a probability that I do that. This is from Facebook. It's from uh, Brett Bedal, uh, and Brett asks uh, ask you to share a meaningful story about a real life unsung hero you met while on active duty. Also, what a typical loadout might. Uh, be for an op. Mm. Unsung heroes. There's so many people out there that uh, that are particularly in the space, like foundations, uh, helping guys transition, connecting them to different companies, to do internships, to see if that's really the path they want to go down. Um, also helping them out, get them to places that might be able to help a little bit with uh, post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury. Or um, There's so many people out there that are unsung heroes um, that are supporters of, uh, of, well, not just of veterans, but of, of freedom. So um, that don't have platforms or that don't, uh, you know, are not there in the public eye. And that's what makes this country so strong is those unsung heroes that are doing that day-to-day -day thing as, uh, as citizens of this, this great nation. So, um, yeah, there's just those people that I, I have so much respect for, uh, pass on to their kids and, and, uh, and, and educating them way and exposing them to things that allow them to make decisions for future generations that allow us hopefully to, uh, continue to have some of those options and opportunities that we, that we all have, um, as citizens. So, um, yeah, and, and typical loadout is uh, it did morph over time. So if you go and look at my my Instagram, you can see some of the photos from early on in the war where I'm pretty much pretty loaded down with uh, with with a lot. So over the years, we got every deployment, every workup cycle, we got more effective, more efficient. Things got lighter. Um, so I kind of I really slimmed down over the years as far as what what I'm carrying. Um, and uh, so that's yeah yeah as you can see that. So there's no really typical loadout because yeah it depends on the deployment uh, the time depends on the mission in many cases whether it's just a you know a sniper mission that you're going going out somewhere with just a couple guys or you're going to hit a compound somewhere so it all and you're just an hour back uh or you're going out to spend like three days in a hide site and uh, they're an urban hide site or something so yeah. so it it all depends. There wasn't like a specific thing. There's certain things that you need to have on every mission. There's that, but uh, but some of those other things um, change based on the mission. Now I know. I think Brian was going to ask this question, but I'm, I don't know if he wants to ask it or not. But I'm going to go ahead. Um, you know, some of the things, that, the details that you get into your your books, like with the IEDs and some of the cocktails that you use to inject into some some people, like the the capsaicin one. Uh, how how accurate are those, and do you leave some things out, some details out, just for that reason, so people won't go? And yeah, so in particular, the when I when I was doing the IED builds, uh, I left things out. I wanted to do 
was have them detailed enough. So if an EOD person reads it, they're like, uh, you know what? He didn't just get this from some other movie or some other TV show. Um, like he actually did the research. He talked to somebody that knows what they're doing. And I see what he left out here on purpose. So that's what I want when I'm doing that, those type of things. Um, and I used a technique in the first book to do that by having Liz Riley looking from across the room, across this uh, this hangar, as James Reese is making this cocktail over in the corner, particularly when he gets to to a uh, more sensitive part of that. Um, so, so I use that technique there. So she's kind of looking. She doesn't really know what she's looking at. She knows what he's doing, but it's not described a recipe because I don't want some kid to go blow themselves up in their basement. Um, and then the one from Savage Son, I'll keep that uh, close hold on, uh, on that. But uh, that, that's pretty close to being... I should have probably taken a couple of things out, <laughs> a couple more things out on that one. Uh, but that's a particularly on the, vicious on the first scene. on the first uh, interrogation or the second interrogation on the uh, the, the uh, Savage Son second one yeah which is the second one Savage Son was the um, um, you and Katie I think not Katie but the what's the other chick yeah Liz Riley but Liz I'm yeah the second one what's the second one uh, in and, there. Uh, when's the capsaicin one? Where's that at? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the only one I'm thinking of that's right now. That's that one. I, the one I'm thinking of is in uh, this book, Devil's Hand, okay. where you're yeah. in the the ambulance. Each one has each one has like one yeah. one big one, and uh, so and so they're yeah, different so. though. They're completely different too. You know, that's right. <laughs> that is it. Yeah, I was trying to think. I'm like, what's the second one in Savage Son? Well, I'm in the second book. Yeah, or the, so, it'd be the uh, fourth book. Yeah. But I probably should have left something out there. And even in this, this <laughs> probably one, should have. It's, this fourth one is pretty. Uh, it, it's pretty legit as far as I mean, there's. There's one thing that I that uh, makes it a little more hard to do if someone was to actually just go through that chapter uh, in Devil's Hand and try to do it exactly. There's one place that gets stumped on it. So yeah, it's a little better. Did I ask your question right, Brian? Did I do it justice? Yeah, more my my question was less about specifics and more about the ethics of of writing and describing. You know tactics and and um methods and tactics that kind of thing and you know where you know if there's a recipe or a, a month let me give you a, a side example james yeager has this amazing shoot no shoot rule where and he i don't know if he coined it or not but uh shoot to save a life never to take one and you'll sleep soundly all your days nice is there, yeah isn't that it really takes all of the legalese and boils it down to one real thing. Ask okay. whose life am I saving right now when I'm about to shoot? That's I'm a from a civilian defender standpoint, right? Um, yeah. And so I was wondering if there's a, you know, if you have a simple rule like that for how you walk the line in giving us nerds all the juicy stuff in the, in the Frederick Forsyth, you know, school while not, making the anarchist cookbook available at Barnes and Noble, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I talk about is very basic. Um, mm -hmm. And, and if it's not basic, then it's probably really not uh, going to work. Uh, it oh. might sound good in, in the book. So, you know, going on an online or L like that's, you know, there you go. Taking the high ground. Okay. Boom. Flanking. Like, there you go. That's yep. everything right there. That's yep. what you need right there. Yeah. Um, but uh, so anything that's more intricate than that is me just imagining and and working things out. Uh, that so there's no sure. yeah secret secret stuff in there because really you know warfare like a 
like anything, like a brawl, whatever. It's you know, it's it's uh, it's very basic in a lot of in a lot of respects, and a lot of it has stayed the same from the beginning of time uh, up to up to today. Yeah, we have some technical things that we didn't have back then that gives us some uh, some some technical technical advantages, um, but also some there's some counters to those. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, I just most of it's all for my imagination, except for that uh, that base that base level. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, let's do one more Facebook here. Um, this is uh, Corey Brown, and we'll skip through the first part of this. It says, "What are the top three reasons to buy your book? And is China invading within the next four years?" Uh, <laughs> Is China invading over the next four years? I don't know. It is China invading uh, over the next four years. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I think and, they already uh, have, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're uh, they're slowly infiltrating, maybe, which is a better way to do it. They own half uh, the country. Yeah. Yeah. Real uh, estate. So, uh, uh, and w- and why should you read the books? Um, yeah, I mean, you have to like the genre, be passionate about the genre, and want to, you know, want to read uh, a, a story of either, you know, revenge, redemption, dark side of man, uh, all those sorts of things that I that I talk about in in these novels. And if so, you're into kit and gear, he really gets into detail about the kit and the gear. I'm not talking about he just mentions a brand name, and he goes into detail on how it's uh, it's loaded out, how it's built, how it's customized. Well, and it's also all really top-end gear. Like, he's got Rats tourniquets in there, which they don't cost more than other brands, but I personally think they're, they're you know, there are other ones that are really good, but the one that is in my wife's, you know, handbag for if she or the kids get hurt is a Rats. Nice. And so, yeah, yeah. And aside from Jeff being an awesome, Jeff Kirkham being an awesome dude, the product's really good. Another and, author, too. Uh, yeah. With yeah. the Black Autumn series. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. He came, uh, uh, we, we met not too long ago. Uh, had a great time. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to gravitate towards gear that, uh, that I, I use, trust, um, enjoy. Like all that's, that's woven in there. So yeah, I, I guess the better way to say what, uh, not why you should, but uh, if you don't like these certain things, then don't. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's the, the easiest way. answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, you know. But if you're if you're a gearhead too, a motorhead, because a lot of your your characters are the vehicles that are in the the novels as well. Talking about your your Land Cruiser. Yeah, just growing up with uh, the eighteen van and Magnum's Ferrari and Crockett's Ferrari and the uh, Simon and Simon Dodge Power Wagon and Airwolf and you know all these different Kit, shows had Kit uh, from Night Kit Rider, Night Rider. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got Riptide and Ebtide. Yeah, so you got all these different uh, shows that had vehicles or aircraft as characters. Uh, Tales of the Gold Monkey. You know, you got uh, you know uh, got that that plane. Um, so all that stuff is uh, was very impactful. So that's probably why I, I also use those uh, vehicles and, and, and planes and other things as as character development tools. Will we see your actual uh, Toyota in the? TV series. I'm going to keep that close hold. I'm going to say no. Okay. Because I, okay. I did offer it, but they uh, they were afraid. <laughs> it was it was yeah. They did you tell them that they didn't have to pay you. You don't have to pay me. Because <laughs> they have to. Well, they have to. They need like four of them. Oh. So, yeah. Just like with a pistol or something like that. I didn't know this either. Um, you need like two shapes, so it just you know plastic ones. Um, you need like a, a blank one, and then you need like a real one. You need so you need at well, least just four. a cameo, just a cameo on the back. You know, maybe that's where your cameo is, is back there with your well, people, Land Cruiser fans. I'll say Land Cruiser fans will be happy. That's probably the best way to. Uh, <laughs> awesome. What about yeah. Defender fans? Uh, not in the first book. Okay. Um, 
But, Not in uh, this series, yeah. Yeah, we'll see if the second, uh, if they do another uh, season of it and have the uh, the second and the third novels, then then for sure they have uh, to because I want to see Rafe. I want to see yeah, who's going to exactly. play Rafe. Favorite, yeah, fan favorite. So they're they're well aware of uh, uh, of that, uh, and they talk about it a lot. They're trying to figure out who's going to who, how they're going to deal with that in the uh, in, in this uh, in the series. So that's well, I don't know yet. You seem yeah. to add a little bit of. Uh, you know, your own personal life into the, the story, and especially with family and friends. Uh, you know, there was Ben's son, which kind of, you know, reminded me of, of your son. Yeah, Fred's son, Fred, uh, yeah, Freddie Strain. So, yeah, oh, Freddie's son, yeah, sorry. That's the exact same, uh, exact same thing that our, our son has and uh, that our family deals with. So, uh, wove that into the, the storyline as well, kind of personalizes it and, uh, um, yeah, so so that's uh, it's very natural to put some of that some of that stuff in as appropriate. Yeah, yeah. What about the the females? Uh, Brian had a great question about the the female characters in your book. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I noticed that almost all the women in your novels are very strong. You know, mm-hmm. and there's only a couple notable exceptions, like Raven the stripper in book one, that that prove the exception, right? I mean, even the cocktail waitress is is a high IQ individual when she slips him a knowing wink, right? Or when, when he says, if there's any change, um, and even, you know, uh, Reese's mom in that she's senile and, or, you know, senile is the wrong word for it, but she's not present most of the time. And, uh, then right when he needs her, she comes through and not in a cheesy way with, with a really great Bible passage, um, about what kind of warriors you want. And, um, is that, and, and that's in stark contradiction to most of media today, where there are very few strong people. It's all about how everybody's a victim and what their weaknesses are. And um, it's not like you're going overboard like a Hemingway hero, but I'm wondering if the structure of, of having strong women in there is on purpose or if that's just the soup that you grew up in. You know, clearly your wife must be a very strong woman because you're still married and, you know, seal... Seal life is notoriously difficult, and so um, I wonder your thoughts on that. Yeah, so it w- wasn't intentional. It was all very, very natural um, in that uh, I grew up with very strong female role models with my mom, my grandmother, my great grandmother, um, and especially living through the depression for my for my grandmother and great grandmother, um, and that was a very impactful time in their lives. Um, so it was just natural for me to incorporate strong female characters. And looking back now, I'm glad that I did because publishing, in my experience, is uh, there are a lot of females uh, in the building at Simon & Schuster. And I didn't think about that at all, but it certainly didn't hurt that when it sure. crossed the desk at Simon & Schuster, of the exact editor that I wanted, Emily Bessler, who's amazing, um, that's, uh, that I had strong female characters. Uh, and I didn't think of it that way as I was writing it. That was not intentional, but I'm very glad that that's... Sure race uh and it was just yeah so very very natural for me to incorporate that based on my upbringing i think that's really what it was yeah very cool well it, it comes across as genuine and because yep. it is yeah so i know you got uh, other things that you you got to get to here so we'll wrap up the the questions um facebook instagram if you would go on instagram because we're going to pick a winner for the uh, talking late ak corner uh, mug. We call them Letties, Jack, because they're better than a Yeti. The talking Letties. Love keeps, it. Keeps Love your it. drinks. Keeps your drinks minutes colder than a Yeti. 
Hey, there you go. There you go. 30 seconds, plus or minus 30 seconds. <laughs> exactly. It's not exact science. Uh, but if you would, go on Instagram there and, and pick one of those uh, people who posted a question there, and they're going to win a nice, uh, from Factory 47, one of the sponsors of this episode, F-A-K-T-O-R-Y.com. Nice, nice. Uh, you want me to do that? Yeah, yeah. We'll give you the honors, yeah. brother. We're doing it now? Doing it now. Doing All right, it now. let me do it. Little, 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 little. So and that's the great here, Great I'm thing about this to... is I just they have to listen to the show to be able to know that they won. I don't contact the winners. Perfect. Let's uh let's see. Ba, 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 ba. Let's see. I'm just let's just do it that first question. Let's do the first one we uh that I chose when we were we were going through here about humor and Chris Pratt. So okay. Austin Whalen, let's go, let's go there. There you go. Leadhead Austin, you are yeah. the winner. Contact me, talkinglead at gmail.com. Let me know that uh you won this. And uh, we'll get it out to you. We'll get to James over there to, to send that to you. Awesome. Um, and you don't have Facebook up. So let me go to Facebook here. and We'll pick a winner from Facebook. You have Facebook up, Dwight? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, okay. I thought you were waving me down there. Um, uh, no. Let's just go with the one that I read there, uh, Corey Brown. Um, talking Corey about Brown. Is, is China going to invade within the next – four years or in the three reasons to buy your book. So Corey Brown, no, no, but be prepared. That is a reason for you to also go and buy his books is you just won some talking lead swag. So Corey, Corey Brown, talking let gmail.com. Shoot me your contact information, shirt size, uh, et cetera. And we're going to hook you up with some talking lead swag from, 1776 United, the official providers of the Talking Lead logo, classic logo, and our Leadhead Brigade logo, which I don't nice. think I have any. Oh, here's something with the Leadhead Brigade logo on it. See that? Nice. So these are from uh, Mission First Tactical, and they can uh, in, like ink inject that into the the material so it doesn't rub off. Nice. So you can get your logo on there, Jack. We can hook you up and. Get yeah, maybe that looks good. I get, like that. Get your big uh, your axes on there, man. That's right. That's that, right. That would awesome. Be, that would be sweet. Uh, so yeah, that does it uh, for the for this episode of the Talking Lead Podcast with Jack Carr. Jack, we really appreciate you taking the time to be on, especially during uh, your book push here. I know that you got shit tons of stuff lined up, and you've only got a certain amount of time to do it. So thank you for taking the time to be on. No, thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you guys, and uh, yeah, much appreciated. We need I to. Just, I had a, a, yeah. a quick question for you, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Is that a bottle of uh, horse soldiers whiskey over your right shoulder? So it's close. It is Hoot and Young, which are two Delta guys. Okay. That, uh, okay. Is, so I got this into, uh, of course, I called Larry Vickers, and I was like, hey, who are these guys, just to make sure. And uh, he's like, yeah, they're solid. And uh, so I put this in the book, and it's in the uh, in the series with Chris Pratt. So got this in there. Sweet. So, yeah, I like to try to help out like veteran-owned businesses and stuff like that as as much as I as much as much I can. So uh, that's that. They were nice enough to send a, a case that I'm <laughs> almost done with. <laughs> so The Devil's Hand is going to be out August the 13th. April 13th. April 13th. It's that yep. other A month. That's the one. April 13th, The Devil's Hand. And uh, I guess they can pretty much get it anywhere. Um, yep. Books anywhere are books are sold. And uh, yeah, audio ebook, same time. And 
Yeah, sincerely appreciate uh, all the support. And the podcast, give it a plug. Podcast, Danger Close, Beyond the Books with Jack Carr. Episodes dropping every Wednesday, and that's on uh, my YouTube channel, on Apple, and on Spotify. And I am at Jack Carr USA on the socials. And a little more background on some of the books that influenced me uh, over my my life and then some of the guns and gear used in the novels. They can go to officialjackcar.com and explore around there. And Lefty will be on there soon. <laughs> soon to come. Uh, and is there anything else? So of course, the TV series, we don't know when that's going to be released yet, but the Terminal List, it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Uh, you guys can Google it and keep up to date. IMDb, I don't think they have anything really posted on it yet, but uh, probably watch your Instagrams and your social medias because I'm sure you're going to update everybody there. As soon as Amazon lets me, I'm, uh, uh, I have I've lots to post. That's there for you sure. Go. There you go. Definitely, definitely. So there you go, guys. Go uh, let Jack know that you heard him here on the Talking Lead Podcast, how much you appreciate everything that he's doing, not only uh, for our entertainment, but also for our 2A community. Uh, Thank you guys for all you do for freedom. That is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, sincerely. So uh, without uh, you out there doing what you're doing and, you know, talking to teaching your kids and and all all the rest of it, that uh, we're not going to have a free country for much longer so thank you for standing strong and for uh for fighting each and every day yes sir yes sir and as always lead heads keep your loved ones close your firearms and uh jack R novels closer <laughs> so <laughs> is, uh, if you ever think that you want to have a podcaster in your novels you can pattern yeah. after me uh, i'd be I happy to do that you never know you never know. I will give you creative license to do that. You can use me. Oh, as a, thank you. I appreciate it. Die a horrible <laughs> death, you know, uh, an evil podcaster. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs>